I'm Allison. And I'm Stacy. And you're listening to the Best Together Podcast. Brought to you by Blind Early Services Tennessee. And made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Welcome back to the Best Together Podcast. I am your host, Stacy Cornwall. And while today I unfortunately am not joined by co-host Allison, who is in bed sick with a cold, I am joined by an amazing guest and friend, Caroline Ailey of CareHack LLC. Welcome to our podcast, Caroline. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, Stacey. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, as a brief introduction for our listeners, Caroline is a Nashville-based educator with a background in nonprofit leadership, private tutoring, and teaching in the exceptional education space. After continually observing inequities, profound limitations, and lack of support for parents and caregivers, Caroline launched CareHack LLC to serve as a safe bridge across major gaps created by the special education system. Okay, if listeners are not hooked and intrigued after that introduction, (laughs) I don't know what it would take. So, Caroline, like many of our other podcast guests, you didn't have a direct route to special education. So starting as far back as you would like, please tell us your story. So definitely not a straight path. Um, I have done anything and everything other than special education uh, prior (laughs) to this. Um, In 2012, I was in grad school studying theology, which then led me uh, into the nonprofit world. Um, In that time in my nonprofit world, um, I worked for two different nonprofits. Um, One was a mentorship program in a scholarship program for high school students. Mm -hmm. And then the other was an after school program for uh, K through 12 students. Okay. Um, So one was in Florida, one was, uh, and then this, uh, the after school program was in Nashville. Um, In Nashville, uh, due to the gentrification that was happening in that specific neighborhood, our after school center was forced to close. Mm -hmm. And in that month it was may uh of 2016 so in that month um uh i was there i got a call from teach for america um it was just a random recruiting call wow Um, yeah i didn't know anything about teach for america or what (laughs) it was um i thought hey i'm gonna need a job i like working with kids how hard could teaching be Um, and so because that was a career change, they let me stay in Nashville, which typically, if you guys know anything about Teach for America, you move to different parts of the country and are teaching in different, um, cities and, um, they let me stay in Nashville, which was great. Um, but during the application process, there's a little box of like, what would you be willing to teach? And so Mm -hmm. I said, I would be willing to work with students with disabilities. I did not realize that checking that box sealed your fate um, in, in your future of what you do, uh, which is, you know, you know, looking back, I'm like so grateful that I checked that box, but also um, I was very, very unprepared for the special education world. Mm-hmm. Um, like even that statement is very, it's a very big understatement. Um, so starting in this uh, world of um, teaching, And then specifically then doing it for students with disabilities, it became sink or swim for me. So I just decided to swim. I said, either I quit right now Mm -hmm. or I become really passionate and really knowledgeable about this uh, 
uh, this area of study, this area of teaching. Um, and so for seven years, I really just dove head first. And then I never really came up for air until I created Care Hack. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that you mentioned the sink or swim. And I so identify with that because as parents, you're thrown into special education, typically, mm -hmm. unexpectedly. Um, and I had the same feeling. It was yeah. sink or swim. I let this defeat me or right. I, um, yeah, empower yeah. myself with knowledge and <laughs> fight back exactly. Well, um, and like, you know, now that I haven't been in, it's, you know, it's been a, a, a bit since I've been in the teaching world and I can actually openly share this, but I remember my first IEP meeting, I was Googling what is autism uh, before mm -hmm. the meeting that I was supposed to lead for this parent. That's how unprepared the world of special education is when you're getting into it. Mm -hmm. and I think that also just tells you the nature and the state of special education and where we're at as a whole. Um, but I mean, you know, I shouldn't have to Google a disability prior to a meeting where I'm supposed to be that I'm supposed to be leading this meeting <laughs> on a disability that I had to Google about five minutes before a parent came into the meeting. Right. But knowing you and knowing the fact that you did Google it and did yeah. prepare yourself, I mean, right. that does speak highly to you. Um, yes. But, yes. but you're right to have to be in that to be in that situation. Right. Is yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, OK, so speaking of special education, yeah. many of our listeners have been in the field for decades, even since IDEA was started, which honestly wasn't that long ago. Um, but other listeners are just beginning their special education journey, whether they're parents or professionals. So for those just starting their journey, highlight for us some positives you've seen in special education, as well as challenges, or we can rephrase that as opportunities for change. Yeah, yeah. Man, so it really has come a long way. I mean, I feel like I've come a long way in even the short time I've been in this field. Um, but, and I've seen the changes positively over the past eight years that I've been in this world. But I think just from the beginning, like, if you think about it, and honestly, my mom reminds me of this too, because she remembers a time where her cousin couldn't go to school because she had an intellectual disability. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, students with disabilities used to not be able to go to school with their peers um, or they were institutionalized at a young age. And so obviously, you know, with the introduction of IDEA and uh, even individual state laws, people like you and me, like it has come a long way and the people are fighting for that change. Um, I even think that we see like a more inclusive education system, obviously, than before. Uh, and we are very much more advanced than other countries. Mm. Um, but I do want to say that I use the term inclusive very lightly because we are far from a fully inclusive society and education system. Right. Yeah. Um, I think like some of the challenges or opportunities for growth that I see, um, there's a lot of like loosely written legislation, even within IDEA. Uh, and then it's really loosely implemented. I've been in many school settings teaching. And so I see the struggles that we have with um, with staying in um, more of a survival mode uh, and a reactive mode than being proactive about change. And I think a lot of this comes down to, um, and, and it's 
you know, I, actually, I want to change that. I don't think it's I think um, because it's I know. I've been <laughs> in the, I've been in these meetings with school leaders, with district leaders, uh, in multiple schools across uh, across Tennessee, um, that we are in this pause. So because there are teacher shortages and because that there's big legislative and systematic changes that need to happen, we're just going to pause and not do anything. Right. And I think that's the hard part is that we, so then we become reactive, you know, so then mm -hmm. in these meetings, we just react to whatever is happening. If something's going wrong, then we'll change it then, but it has to go wrong and Oh, there has to be a lawsuit for change to be made. There's never this proactive response. And, mm -hmm. and I see, because I've been in it, teachers, uh, staff are being silenced. You have really good teachers. You have really good paraeducators. You have great related service providers, direct service providers, all of these people that really do want what's best. And that, I should go back to, that's a positive. There are so True. many good people. Yes, I can speak to that too. Yeah. yeah, there's so many good people in the school system. So this is not me knocking the school system. I loved my time teaching and being a specific teacher, like two kids. It was wonderful in that sense. But the part of being silenced, because I think the big thing is a lot of school leaders say that they want change and they're for it. But then when you present change or you question things, they're saying, oh, well, no, we don't do that. Right. Uh, well, that actually is a bigger picture. And what we're doing here is fine. And those are, and, you know, and I'm not saying that out of a generalization. I'm literally saying out of that is the truth that came to me. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's such a hard thing is that I'm, I'm very passionate person. I want change. I want to do what's better. I want people to tell me how I can be better. Um, but I think this mentality of this pause of, oh man, there's just all these legislative changes that need to be made. There, it's just a systemic problem. And then when people like you and me present small changes that could create big change, there's no action because they, they don't actually want the change. Like, right. I think they say they want the change, but when people present this, it competes with this like, oh, well, that means I actually have to change my mentality. And, oh, that means I'm going to have to step on some toes that I don't want to step on. And so I think, unfortunately, that is honestly one of the biggest challenges um, because, a bit again, change starts small. It doesn't start big. And so <laughs> you have to have these people that are willing to do that. But you have these people that are being silenced within the schools. Right. Yes. And one thing I've realized about IDA is it makes special education possible. It doesn't make it perfect. Yes. Um, so like you say, um, you know, my son with blindness, thank goodness he does not have to be institutionalized like once he would have. He would, would right. not have been allowed to be educated alongside typical developing and sighted peers. So I'm very thankful for that. But yes, um, just because it's it's law doesn't mean that we're executing this law perfectly. Um, Correct. It's a continual process. Yeah. And it's I think, too, like, yes, it's law. It's there. It, it makes it possible. It gives us access that we didn't have before. And also we are humans operating with human emotions. And 
there are so many other little factors that are involved that, um, you know, it just takes so many more things, so many more people to buy in and to just want to make that change and not to be afraid of it. And so I think that's another thing is we're scared of like, well, what if it doesn't work? Cool. But what if it does? Like, <laughs> right. uh, you know, I am a very glass half full type person. Um, so I always want to figure out what can we do? And again, I'm, I'm very realistic to the problems that are happening. So like, and that makes me sad and I can be a skeptic sometimes, but I also see real possibility for change. Yeah. If people are willing to open their minds to the change itself. Right. Caroline, before I ask this next question, I want to first clarify the word advocate. Advocate or advocacy can sometimes have a negative connotation in our culture. And while I support using the word advocate, for those unfamiliar, I think it helps to substitute the word support. Mm -hmm. So at the IEP table, as a parent, I am not the person, of course, receiving special education services. This means I am assuming the role of an advocate on behalf of an individual, and that individual happens to be my biological son, and he's also a minor. So from my perspective, I'm an advocate or support to my child, not unlike how you are an advocate or support to parents. Would yes. you agree or disagree with that? Yes. No, I totally agree with that statement. Um, I think you know, going back to what you were saying about how there's like a negative connotation in our mm -hmm. culture about it. Yeah. So as a former teacher, I can, when I heard an advocate was coming to my IEP meeting, my anxiety went up. Um, yeah. Even as a good teacher who built great relationships with parents, an advocate coming used to mean to me that a parent didn't trust me. Mm. Um, and that comes from you know, probably a lot of different reasons. There's also probably, you know, there has, there are not great advocates. There's some not great advocates in the world that have not right. done the best job supporting the parents. Um, but then also it's just the, um, the concept of us versus them. Uh, right. So the school team versus the parent instead of this collaborative meeting. So I know firsthand as a parent that navigating the special education landscape is a very daunting task. Um, from your perspective, is this something that parents or caregivers should do alone? No. <laughs> I you would say that. No. Um, so even parents that have are special education um, professionals that have been in the mm -hmm. field, or or parents that have uh, gone back to school to educate themselves about their, their uh, child that was diagnosed with a specific disability, or have just spent countless hours researching and educating themselves, they should not do this alone. If I had a student with a disability, I would have an advocate. It's too hard. We're, meant, we're not meant to do things alone. Like, I believe that in every aspect of, of, of life, we're not meant to do things alone. And somehow in this special education world, <laughs> parents feel so alone yes. they feel so alone in it and that is a huge issue and i think and and i have a lot of reasons for why parents feel alone mm -hmm. um but that is the thing that i'm like no you should not feel alone like where did we go wrong that all the uh, when a parent gets a diagnosis um they're like whoa what do i do now and mm -hmm. then and then it just is, it's a continuous sinking feeling. And so I just, I hate it. I hate 
that parents think that they have to do it alone because they didn't have an option before or they don't know their option. And yet when they get that diagnosis, parents immediately feel alone and feel responsible to know everything in the about an IEP. And to me, that's really on the schools. Like we did not set, as a school system, we did not set up parents for success or to feel knowledgeable or capable humans in, in this in, in an inclusive environment for parents. Right. And so, you know, yes, we're trying to create an inclusive environment for their child uh, with an IEP, but in this meeting, we need to create an inclusive environment for the parent. And yes, so, preach it, Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I feel like parents should come to the table and feel feel like they are an actual expert on who their child is, and also feel comfort knowing that the team is making a plan that will best serve their kid. But they don't know the ins and outs of present levels of performance or annual goals or nationally normed interventions. Again, those are all such as big terms in an IEP that these parents don't know um, and they shouldn't know. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, that's what the advocate is there for, to fully support the parent so the parent doesn't, so the parent can just be a parent. They can sit, they can take it in, they get to participate without worrying about the details and to have someone they trust to navigate this IEP world together with. Um, you know, it's not an us versus them. I think sometimes, and you know, to give grace to the school's team, they're so focused because they're so busy on making sure the IEP looks great, making sure everything, you know, dotting their T's, crossing their I's, making, I just said that wrong, <laughs> dotting their I's, and crossing their T's. Uh, yeah, but they're doing all of this, all this uh, pre-work um, to prepare for this meeting. They're also teaching all day long. I get that, but sometimes when we go into those meetings, we forget that that parent doesn't have that education background, isn't with their child in the school setting every single day, and also doesn't take into the account that the parent still spends the majority of time with their child and has and birthed their child and has been in their life for their whole like their entirety whereas mm -hmm. they are an actual expert even if it's not on what an IEP goal should look like in the school setting during math class absolutely yeah yes yeah yes and all the things you mentioned Caroline um it, it's so daunting to navigate all that as a parent yeah but like from my experience, I didn't start using an advocate until well into my son's education. Mm -hmm. And using an advocate, it it feels like the exception and not the norm. Yeah. Um, and I wish that was different. Like, should it be that way? Or should every parent feel like they can come to the table with an advocate? Yeah, no, I think uh, everybody should feel like they should have, I think everyone should have an advocate with them. Right. I think, uh, it is not a do this alone. We are not meant to do life alone. We are not meant to handle all the hard things by ourselves. And, you know, I think it should be a norm. I think, honestly, what I would love to see is that this just be a, like a service that is part of the school system that they get a parent advocate that comes with them every oh single goodness, time. Yes. I think it just needs to be the norm because again, Parents just need to be a parent. They are the expert mm -hmm. of their child and their child's needs. But the advocate should be an expert of the IEP. And the advocate should be able to 
be that parent support and be someone that they trust and that they can sit in this meeting knowing that I just get to be a parent today and know that everything is going to get taken care of. And that comes from not just the advocate, it comes from the whole team as well. But again, parents are made to feel alone. They're the only one that's not at the school every single day in this meeting. So when they're the only ones not in this in in the school every single day, it's just a natural feeling to feel alone, to feel right. separate. And so again, I just think, you know, if I had a student with a disability, I would have a parent advocate myself too. Because yes. I don't want to feel alone. And it is just a natural thing to walk into it and feel alone. And right. there's a lot of things that need to change to make a parent not feel alone. But one of that is to provide is for parents to have advocates there. And for the school to not feel like the advocate is there as a as a got you. Like right, right. Yeah. Hopefully the more the more advocates show up, the more parents bring advocates, um, those perceptions will will change. And and like yeah. you say, good advocates. It's not yes. That people are yes. coming to to start fights and arguments. Um, exactly. On the contrary, they're probably preventing those from happening. Right, right. right. Um, yeah. And yeah. too, I'm so glad you mentioned that. You know, even even parents that maybe are professional or you know a special educator or have you know special knowledge um, that that having an advocate is so valuable because I'll say even when I have been to meetings and I felt very prepared, it's I find it very difficult to separate like my emotions from like my logic or right. be able to reason through these items without honestly getting the fight or flight response because right. you're as a parent, like you're talking about my son mm -hmm. and to be able to turn off that, like to cut that switch, right. that fire that, yeah. um, you know, triggers these emotions. It's just, mm -hmm. it's not possible. Right. Um, so, and, and you never really know how, what you're going to find in the IP meeting, how it's going to go and just right. being prepared in those situations to sit back, hand right. it over to someone else. Um, if your emotions do, do start to run high. Well, right. And I just like, I'm an empath. I am a relationship builder. I feel what my parents feel. But when it comes to an IEP meeting, that's my ex that's my that's my realm. That's my expertise. Mm -hmm. That's my world. That's I know so much about it. And I think that just and I also love and trust these parents and their child. Um, but I have this level of like knowledge and this this line I have as an advocate coming in, knowing that it's not it's not my son. I'm going to love that kid, you know, as much as their parents gonna love that kid. And also I can have that expertise. I get to have that line where parents right. can just feel the emotions. They get to just be the parent again, just be the parent, just sit mm -hmm. there and take it in because that meeting is not just for the kid. It's for the parent too. Like, and honestly, I would argue that it's almost more for the parent because the parent needs to understand what's happening. You know, they need to feel mm -hmm. like their kid is taken care of in this meeting. And so in order for them to do that, they can't also, have all these questions in their head to make sure everything's legally correct and that every detail is correct, that there's no spelling errors, that uh, that the services provided are actually going to be appropriate for the kid. Um, you know, that's too much. Um, and so again, you know, I still get to be, like I can still be emotional in the regards to my care and my relationship with the parent and with the child, 
but I get that line drawn where I get to, I am there as the expert for the parent and the support for the parent. Right. Yeah. And so Caroline, what finally led you to leave special education, leave the classroom yeah. and, and truly found care hack and dedicate yeah. your time to, to care hack. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, as a former educator, um, the parents of my students led me to create care hack. That mm. is the simple answer. And honestly, I, I let to expound on it. Like I just quickly realized through my time in education, how parents contacted me more than other teachers and opened up to me about um about more things um and i was a, someone they trusted and i you know when i was doing this i was like oh i have really good relationships with the parents i just assume that's what everyone has and i find you know i hear these stories from parents who are like no we've never been able to trust a teacher or no we've always had these issues it's never been a collaborative kind meeting um you know when in regards to iep meetings and then not just that that Parents would ask me so many things um, outside, like so many things and so many questions about outside of school mm. and because they just felt alone. They didn't have anyone to just talk to about or ask questions. And I realized that, you know, I have my education world. And then I was thinking about parents outside of the education. And there's so many resources for families of students with disabilities. There's so many, but then, there is not one person to connect mm. those families to those resources. Mm -hmm. There's no one that is consistently there to answer day-to-day -day questions and struggles. Um, and then from the advocacy side, I also realized that there are not many advocates that truly know what inside a school setting each day looks like. Mm. Um, and so just for like our uh, listeners knowledge, um, there is no degree or certification that you currently need to call yourself an advocate. Uh, there's no state or federal regulatory guidelines around who can and can't be an advocate. So basically anyone gets to call themselves an advocate if they want to call themselves an advocate. There are certifications and classes you can take uh, in person, online, uh, throughout. Um, yeah, there's there's so many things that you can do. But when I looked up those certifications, um, most of them are just teaching that advocate or that person who's going, going to become an advocate what an IEP is or what mm -hmm. IDEA is. And right. so it's not in depth. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, so yes, I've been an educator for seven years. I do. And because of that, I also have experience that most other advocates do not. And not only do I have the education, the experience inside the school, I think is really what sets me apart with care hack. So being able right. to being able to sit in a meeting and know that if a if a if one of the teachers says something about an intervention that they're using, I usually know what intervention that is, how it's actually implemented. And what specifically it looks like? Does it look like they're on their computer for 45 minutes? Or is that teacher led? There's so many ins and outs of the school that like, and, or sorry, there's so many ins and outs of the IEP mm -hmm. that are so confusing to parents because they don't know what a schedule of a school looks like. They don't, they don't know what the map of a school looks like. They don't know, um, 
what, uh, and when I say map, I mean like, um, so in special education, they create a map of services. So okay. that, so that is, you know, which students are going to which classroom and which intervention or which related service provider. So that's all done internally. It's not shared externally, obviously for privacy reasons, because there's so many kids on that map. Yeah. But I know the ins and outs of that. I've created those maps for years. <laughs> so I think just understanding that, also understanding um, policies and procedures within the school, how different behavior plans are done within the school setting. Um, that just helps me stand apart from other advocates. Um, and there are some really great advocates that have a lot of strengths that I do not have. Um, so I do want to admit that. But I think what parents find for uh, with with me and with CareHack is that we're getting um, we're getting a more in depth look, uh, and they're getting a better understanding. And it's not a uh, again. I think in these meetings, it's not an us versus them because I've been in the school. I am a them. Like, <laughs> I'm an us and I am a them. So I've been in both settings. So I think that helps. And I think even being in meetings, you can probably ask some of the schools I've been to. They've appreciated me in these meetings mm. because I am not someone who doesn't know what the school setting looks like. Because I think that's also a lot with the schools is that when you have a school team that feels like, okay, well, they just don't, like an advocate doesn't know what's going on in the school setting. They don't know the struggles we have. They don't know the scheduling issues we have. They don't know the staffing issues. I know it all. So <laughs> I can have a lot of grace for it and offer solutions that maybe some other advocates could not. Right, yes. You mentioned before that yeah. when you were a teacher and an advocate showed up to the table, um, that was, it was nerve wracking. Oh yeah. So, and now you're an advocate coming to the table uh, with other teachers. Do you think you're having that same impact or, or that same impression on them? Or like you say, is it softened by the fact that you've been in their shoes? Yeah. So I think, I think that's a case by case uh, basis, right. a school by school. I think the word advocate, no matter what, um, puts, uh, puts a negative connotation going in. Yeah. I think by the time I leave a meeting, everyone feels at ease. Uh, and mm -hmm. for the most part, there are some very difficult cases and and very difficult situations that I've had with specific schools. But overall, I have had multiple people reach out to me from the school teams of several different schools across the city saying, that was one of the best meetings we sat in and you're one of the best advocates uh, we have ever had in a meeting because you're so knowledgeable and warm and wanting to create a team. Again, yes. part of my mission is to bridge the gap between the school and the parent. Like mm -hmm. that, that's what I want to do. I want to bridge this gap. Uh, and I really do want it to be a warm, like welcoming environment. And I think, you know, I remember as a teacher, even some of the advocates in those meetings would be like, oh, this is a great teacher. Like she's doing what's right. And I just realized I'm like, shouldn't everybody be doing this? And I think <laughs> it's just, it's just, I, to me, again, it should be the norm. It should be the norm to have this warm feeling that we're all on the same page, you know, that we're all doing what's best for the kid, that we all, you know, even, even with disagreements that we all still feel like we're fighting for, for better, for, for change, 
for again, what is uh, right, accessible, and best for a child with a disability. And I, yeah, I, I think I have started to create more of a positive mindset around advocates, but I think it will take a lot more people um, and a lot more um, willingness and open-mindedness from the school teams to feel that. True. Yes. Um, and again, from the parent perspective, even when at times when I thought, you know, it, it might really be nice to have an advocate, it it's daunting as well to 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 seek one out. And yeah. like you say, there's not a nationally normed certificate or certification program or anything like that. So you really are finding an individual that you connect with, that connects with your child or knows maybe some ins and outs of their particular situation or disability. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of a leap from the parent perspective to actually yeah. bring someone to the table because you're yeah. right. Like if yeah. there is going to be that initial um, mm -hmm. hesitancy from the rest of the team it, there I've had that fear before like is this going to be more damaging than it is of course beneficial? but um, you know I'm glad you mentioned there are wonderful advocates that you know maybe have different obviously differing backgrounds but I think it's really um, an awesome step forward to have advocates who have been special education teachers. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel I have felt more comfortable bringing that type of advocate to the table um, and, yeah. and felt more that 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 gap is bridged um, yeah. rather than the opposite happening. Right. Um, so I don't want to pull all the special ed educators from the school system. I, but yeah. I also, um, you know, anyone who is is looking for an advocate, I think mm -hmm. You know, as you're interviewing someone, it, it's nice to know how how um, what is their experience with right. special ed and right. how much of the ins and outs do they know? Yeah, and I think that you, you know you hit on a point, Stacy. That's so true. Is that it's really hard for parents to seek out um, a resource. So that's mm -hmm. I, you know, and a seek see, seek out an advocate when it's such it's looked on so negatively by the school. Um, and I think that's, again, that's why I exist. That's why CareHack exists is to help parents not feel alone and to help them feel that this is going to be a positive experience. You know, there's always things I cannot, there's so many things I cannot control in special education world. Like I, I tried within the school, <laughs> I'm trying without, uh, outside of the school, there's still so many things I cannot control, but I really, really try to make a positive impact um, and have everyone feel positive leaving the meeting. Um, not just the parent, but the school team as well. Me too, you know, and I think I've done that in so many cases. Um, and it's, you know, it's actually just made me want to continue. It is the fuel to my passion for CareHack um, is anytime I have a good meeting and I get a parent text that says, wow, for the first time, I didn't feel alone. To me, that's why I do this. You know, that's why mm -hmm. I exist. And that's what I want every parent to feel like. Absolutely. Yeah. And a huge part of my personal special ed journey has been about finding my voice. Um, and our newest program at Blind Early Services Tennessee is called Best Advocacy. And it's all about helping other parents find that voice too. 
But tell me, Caroline, in what ways do you help parents find their voice both at and away from the IEP table? Yeah. Um, so I, again, I think you know that I'm just very passionate about empowering parents and caregivers. Um, again, I fully believe that parents are the experts. Um, yes, I know that special education, I know that I specifically know the special education terms and the ins and outs of every of, of an IEP, but parents know the kid. I always tell parents that they know more than they think. And even though they may not fully understand the special education world, they understand their kid and that's the most important part. And so again, this part of like helping parents find their voice and you know, um, and, and, and empowering them. The biggest thing is I want parents. And what I tell parents is that you are enough. Hmm. You don't, you are enough. You do not have to get another degree just because your child <laughs> got a diagnosis. You do not have to be the person that is researching for hours and hours and feeling so, so much anxiety prior to an IEP meeting. Again, if you want to research and do all that, that's awesome and more power to you. But that's not like, that's not your job. That's not your expertise, you know, but there, and there is, and there is somebody out there that it is their expertise that you can trust. And so for me, I just want parents to know that they are enough. So I am pretty consistent in reminding parents of that. I think reminding parents that they matter is very lacking in IEP meetings from mm -hmm. the school team. And so, um, again, an IEP meeting, very cold, usually can be very cold and overwhelming. <laughs> Parents feel that they're being talked to. And I just think, how sad. <laughs> like, most of my, any of my parents uh, would say they feel more confident, respected, and comfortable after a meeting with me in the meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, all I truly do, yes, I, I, know, I know a lot, and I'm, I, I'm an expert in special education, but really what I do is I just care. And I tell parents the honest truth that they are the enough, they are enough. And I think that goes a long way and it sounds so simple, but it doesn't happen. And so, I mean, you know, care is in the name, but I really do just want parents to feel and know that I care and that I fully believe that they are the experts. They are enough the way they are in the meeting and that they have support. And I think it's weird that, yes, I'm trying to have parents find their voice and empower them, but to empower parents and help them find their voice is really to support them and to care for them, you know, and to remind them they're not alone. So again, empowerment mm -hmm. and finding your voice is not being alone. Yes. Like, and so yes. I think, yeah. That's such a beautiful message. Yes, parents are, they're enough as they yeah. come to the table. They're enough. Yeah. They should be allowed to be parents, like you mm -hmm. say. And, and yeah. yes, finding your voice doesn't mean getting a degree or becoming a lawyer no. uh, specialized in IDEA. It's you showing, it's the parent showing up to the table confident and collected. And yeah. A lot of times that happens when there's an advocate there, there. Yeah. to support them. All right, Caroline, lastly, tell our yeah. listeners, please, how they can reach you. Yeah. And I will also include a link to your website yeah. in our show notes. Perfect. So I think the biggest way to reach me, yes, is my website. So I'm glad that you're linking that. Um, on my website, um, on the first page, you scroll to the bottom, 
there's a big contact form. You can put your, you know, put your uh, name, your email, your phone number, a little message about what you're looking for, what help you need. Um, and that's the easiest way. And it gives me some background. Um, there's also a phone number on there, which you can text or call. Um, and then uh, my socials um, are out there. So uh, across Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, they're all at carehack.org, O-R-G, or O-R-G, yes. So um, you can easily find that. Um, but the biggest thing is go to my website, fill out a contact form, um, and I'll get back to you. Um, I'm just here to help, and I definitely want to help as many families as I can. Thank you. I'm so, so happy for what you're doing and that you're growing and succeeding and just all of the, um, yeah, the small changes you're doing every day that maybe they're not impacting the system as a whole, but they're definitely impacting and changing individual lives. And yeah. that matters just as much. It does. It does. Well, Stacey, I love you. I love what you guys are doing at best. Um, I'm so glad to be a part of, um, a part of best and know you guys and just know that you guys are fighting the same fight I am and you have made a huge difference when we're talking about advocates um, for you know students with disabilities you are an advocate of anyone who is visually impaired I have learned so much from you uh, from Allison from your organization and so I just want to like you know credit you guys as well and um, thank you and how much good you are doing for this community. I really appreciate that. Thank you, yeah. Caroline. Yeah. And anyone who wants to learn more about Best Advocate will also link that in the show notes as well. Perfect. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, and I'm so glad we get to share all of this information with our fabulous audience. And until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Do you know a family or provider in need of resources to support a child with low vision or blindness? Do you know someone with lived experience or professional expertise related to blindness who might be willing to share their story? If so, please reach out to us at blindearlyservices.org. Thank you for listening to the Best Together podcast and for supporting our mission. And please stay in touch. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Blind Early Services. Until next time.